The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. I still get captured every time by verse 26, where in this moment there is this, Jesus reveals himself to the woman. The Samaritan woman says, I am he. Can you imagine that moment uh, where she is just taken in by, because her response, her response declares, yeah, (laughs) you're him. I mean, later on, she says, come and see the one who told me everything that I ever did. Did he tell her everything that, but that was her perception. Her perception is the one, the one who knows me. And yet he still wants to be with me. He still wants to offer me life. Man, what a glorious text. I want to tell you, as, uh, as we were kind of planning out the sermon series and, and uh, looking ahead uh, for Mother's Day, it was kind of like, uh, so are we going to do something specific for moms on Mother's Day? And it's like, no, we, we really endeavor just to move through the, the gospel and uh, we'll celebrate moms, but we're going to we're going we're gonna to stay in the, the Gospel of John. And, and man, I get to the end of preparing for today's message. And man, today's message is a Mother's Day. Now, go figure, right? That God is just that good. He's so sweet. We're talking about, and, and why I say that is this. Here, a woman, right? A woman that is, you know, she only comes to the well at noon because she's trying to avoid social interaction. She comes at that time because she's living in isolation because of her sin and because of her reputation or perceived reputation. And so she's living this isolated life, which sin tends to do. It isolates us from him, from the Lord and from each other. And uh, it has that destructive effect. Um, and Jesus comes in intentionally, comes in and has this divine appointment with this woman tells her, I know you, I know all about you, and yet here I am to give you life. And, uh, and, and shows his desire to love her, to embrace her, breaks, breaks every social protocol, <laughs> whether it be prejudice or even rabbinical um, uh, etiquette, and, uh, and he comes in and reveals himself to her and then what does she do? She becomes a spiritual mom to her town of Sikar. She goes and shares the love of Christ. She, 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 now she's moving. She's healed. We have to see the healing work that's done in this moment because now this woman that was avoiding social interaction is now running into a social context, making great declarations because now she, this has overshadowed all of her brokenness. It's healed her. Jesus has healed her. You know, one of the things we have to understand in order to kind of glean from this moment is Jesus said, I must go that he might come. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, it's better that I go that he comes because he'll be with you always. He'll fulfill God's promise to to never leave you or forsake you. But we also must understand that in Jesus's ministry, Jesus said a very unique thing. He said, they asked him, why, you know, why don't your disciples fast like the Pharisees and the and John the Baptist's disciples, they fast. Why don't your disciples fast? And he says, he said basically this, because 
I'm with them. When I go, they'll fast. But he says, when the bridegroom is there, you don't fast. And so my point is this. Um, during the time of Jesus' ministry, when he was present, I mean, the Holy Spirit is God with us, right? It's, it's his presence. But Jesus, Emmanuel, is also God with us. So the disciples had God's presence with them all the time in the person of Jesus. God's mission and passion was so much bigger than that because he sought to plant himself and his kingdom in each believer and then take it to the ends of the earth. But what we must understand is that Jesus being with this woman in Samaria was God walking his presence into hers. Do we see that? And when God walks his presence in, and he didn't do this in Jerusalem, and it's interesting, too, as we kind of continue to follow the, the narrative of the text, Jesus has ministry in Jerusalem. Then he goes and starts baptizing with his disciples in Judea, in the hill country of Judea. And now where is he? In Samaria. Don't we see what Jesus later says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 to his disciples? It will begin in Jerusalem, then in Judea, and then in Samaria until the ends of the earth. What Jesus is doing is he's laying the foundation for the later reaping or harvest. He's planting the seeds. He's modeling for his disciples what it looks like in order to love people into the kingdom. And ultimately, what he's looking to do is he's looking to reveal the Father. He's looking to show them the Father's love, his heart, give them his heart, and then plant himself in the further work of the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what John the Baptist did, right? We're just coming on the other side of John the Baptist's ministry. We know about right now he's in prison um, and, uh, and John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. But what did John the Baptist do throughout his ministry? He pointed to Jesus and he emphatically pointed to Jesus. And, uh, and throughout his ministry, even the two of Jesus's initial disciples in John and Andrew, the, the gospel writer here were, were formerly disciples of John the Baptist. And as John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, twice, by the way, within, within a day of each other, said, there, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a, a massive statement. And his ministry was to prepare the way, right? And do you know that as a witness, John the Baptist was an example to all of us. We're all, our lives are meant to point to Jesus. Our lives are meant to continually live for the glory of another, of to live for something bigger than ourselves, for the glory of God, and, and to give what's been given to us, this eternal life that has been birthed in our lives, that, that it's meant to overflow. It's meant to overflow into the lives of those around us. And we see this example being realized in this situation. It's beautiful if you think about it. And guys, it's not even unique. It is this constant theme that we see going on in the, in, in the ministry of Jesus. Like, let's, let's talk really early days, right? Jesus is baptized, right? At his baptism, uh, John the Baptist later declares, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He keeps pointing his disciples to Jesus, and then they take off and run after Jesus, right? What is, what's the first thing that Andrew does after he, he goes to Jesus and says, Hey, where are you staying? In other words, we want to be with you. And Jesus says, come and see, right? And after he spends, it says it was four o'clock in the afternoon. After he spends some time with Jesus, it says, Andrew runs off and does what? Tells Peter, 
tells the intimate people in his life. And then we see that again. Philip, right? Philip is the byproduct of Andrew and, and John's ministry. And they're, they're, they're all from Bethsaida. And so they, they go and tell Philip, right? And what does Philip do immediately? He runs to Nathaniel. The moment he, and it's interesting, he initially, you know, Nathaniel's like, mm, is there any good thing that can come out of uh, Nazareth? You know, like, I mean, they're, 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 they're suspicious. But when they have this encounter with Jesus, now they move from calling him master or rabbi, and they're, they're like, we've found the Christ. Isn't that what he said? We've found the Messiah, is what Philip said to Nathaniel. And this is the very thing after this, this woman that is, that is just hiding, right? You think back to the garden. The moment that the sin, sin entered humanity, what did we do, right? What did humanity do? Hid, cover up, blame everybody else, including God, but ourselves, right? And, and that's exactly what sin does. And our sin is first and foremost against our creator, right? In, in Psalm 51, David said, um, um, he said, my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so this is, you know, but, but you know, knowing the posture of our glorious God, our prodigal father, that all he, all he asks of us is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not asking us to be perfect. He's asking us to be repentative. He's asking us to be confessional. And he does the perfecting work. Right? The world just believes that I've got to get cleaned up before I can go hang out with that, that Christian bunch. Right? And, and, and we even might have that co- concept in, in the sanctifying work that the Spirit's doing in making us holy after He's revealed Himself to us. But the truth is, it's God's work to be done. And our, our part in that is just agreeing with Him about our sin, acknowledging that it's His power, not by power, by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And so let's dive into this text and and I think we'll discover that, man, this is not just a Mother's Day message. It's a glorious message to all of us that we've been saved to serve. We've been loved to love. We've been given to give, right? We, we've, been, we've been showered in the grace of God in order to be an instrument of that, that or an expression of that love and that cleansing work that God wants to do in others' lives. So we're going to walk through piece by piece. Um, I've come across some neat things this week. The Lord has put some, I, I want to say this. Um, I've been healed by this, by this message this week, personally, healed. I'll talk more about that at the end. This is really ministered to a broken moment in my life this week. And it's just ignited my heart for the gospel. It's just, you know, like, and man, there's only one place that we find hope and healing and refreshment. It's sitting, Jesus said, one thing is necessary to Martha, and Mary has chosen the better part, and it will, will not be taken from her. When we sit at his feet, when we come into his presence, everything changes. Our, our, our cups are overflowing. Our, our lives, our pain is, is quenched. Man, we are truly consumed by what we focus on. And we're challenged to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So some pieces, I've written these out, and I want to share these with you as we open up together in this text. What the woman would have said in response, we don't know because she just races off as the disciples come back, right? 
So what the woman would have said in response to Jesus' revelation is unknown. But what she did is clear. She immediately went and told her neighbors that she had potentially met Messiah, the Christ, when he comes. Oh, and then he says, it's me. I'm, I'm right here. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like, she's like, and she runs off in response to that declaration. And it's not like she questioned it. She, she believed it. I mean, she goes on to say, in, 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 in close proximity to that moment, she goes on to say, I've met the one that, that knows everything I've ever done. I mean, she, she, that's what she believes about, his, about the Messiah, about who he is. Jesus then spoke to his disciples, and this is where we pick up the text, about the importance of being able to look at the world from God's perspective. Isn't this always our aim? This is, this is always what the Spirit is up to in us. He doesn't want us to see things from a worldly paradigm. Do we see how so often Jesus is trying, and we'll see this especially in the Gospel of John, Jesus is trying so hard to impart heavenly knowledge, and they are wrapped up in earthly thinking. Stinking thinking, we talk about it here, right? Nicodemus is like, how can it be that a man can go back into his mother's womb and be born? You know, and, and let's, let's give him some credit. That's, these concepts are, are, I mean, they're not things that the, the, the heaven, I mean, the earthly mind can, can understand. It requires this glorious work of the Spirit. He will lead you into all truth and remind you of everything that, he, that the Lord Jesus has said. And so we're so desperate for this understanding that lights up our life and changes our world and gives us this perspective. But, but what, what's going on here is Jesus is trying to impart to his disciples that we need God's perspective on this moment. And he says, seeing people as a spiritual harvest to be gathered is what this moment is all about. Jesus reminded his disciples of his mission to do the will of God and to accomplish his work and encourages them. This is, the, this is awesome. He encourages them to participate. Like, don't you love that Jesus doesn't even baptize? We see that in the beginning of chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It's not even Jesus who's baptizing. It's his disciples, right? That they're furthering the baptism of John the Baptist in the preparation of the ministry and the teaching of Christ. And, uh, and then here, Jesus has modeled, or Jesus has shown them about what it looks like to sow and then to reap and then here comes the whole town coming out, and Jesus is saying, the field is white to harvest. Here they come. It's time for you to join the mission, guys. It's time to you, you to be a part of why I'm here. He says, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. So then we, see, we pick up verse 27, and it's that exact statement that we have to put into context. In verse 27, it says, just then his disciples came back. Now, where were they? Uh, they were off getting lunch, right? Jesus had sent them off. And it's kind of interesting. Jesus said, I must go to Samaria. So right away, the thing we must understand is Jews don't go through Samaria, right? Jews avoid Samaria at all costs because they, there's a hatred there. They despise them. Jesus intentionally in, in John chapter 10 uses the Samaritan as the hero, right? In order to, to unpack their prejudice and to, and to dig at that and to heal that. And uh, here he intentionally goes into Samaria and he has this glorious father divine appointment moment with this woman that is socially just isolated. And he like we have to understand that this is intentional on his behalf in order to heal her and to minister to her. 
And he sends his disciples before this encounter, he sends his disciples off to go get lunch, right? Now, let's remember, these, all these disciples are Jews, right? And when I say Jew, I mean they're descendants of Judea. They're, they're part of the southern kingdom. So they're at odds with the, Samarit- the northern kingdom or these Samaritans. And, uh, and now they're shopping in Samaria. Jesus is just... Guys, if you're, if, you're, if you're wanting to stay in your comfort zone, walking with Jesus is going to be difficult, okay? No, it's going to be hard, right? And because that's what Jesus does. He, 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 he deals with our social taboos. He deals with our prejudices. He, he pushes us into these moments where, where he confronts uh, our, our broken paradigms and says, this is my heart, and I want you to join me in seeing this realized. And we get to be a part. He's healing us as he uses us as instruments of healing. Does that make sense? And so, so disciples, I mean, think about it. Disciples have gone shopping in Samaria. That's a big deal, right? So they come back. They've got lunch for Jesus. Um, and they marveled. The Amplified says, surprised and astonished that he was talking with a woman. But no one said anything. Right? It's almost like, I don't think it was, I think at this point it's early in the game. There's a lot of respect for Jesus. And they're like, I mean, because later on they start to say things they probably shouldn't say, right? Let's, let's build a shelter here or whatever. So like, um, but at this point they say nothing, but their thoughts are given to us because John is there, right? And says, what do you seek? Other translation says want. And guys, what was Jesus seeking? I have come to seek and save what was lost. This is what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's coming to harvest souls. He's coming to rescue and ransom lives. He's coming to to reveal the heart of the Father and rescue humanity from their broken and separated posture with God. He's coming to bring us back to life. He declares his purpose in John 10.10. He says, I have come that they may have life. And not just life. Not just existence, right? Not spiritually dead life. I've come that they may have life and life abundant, life to the full. This is what I've come to give them. And so, he, so in their minds, they're saying, what do, you, what, what do you seek, Jesus? Or, or why are you talking to her? So I've mentioned some of this, but this is, this is interesting. Jesus had broken uh, cultural taboo, right? In three ways. Jews did not speak with Samaritans, right? Prejudice is the issue here. Number two, um, and listen, we have to ask ourselves questions along the way. Is there, Father, have my heart. Is there any prejudice in me? Some of that's there from a broken paradigm context, just a, 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 a painful experience. But God wants to heal those things so that, that race and color and background and all these things have no barrier. Because when we get to heaven, what does it say? Every tongue and nation is represented, Right? And we need to be a part of the harvest of souls. And that, not, that, that can only be a limiting factor, right? So Jesus comes in and breaks this, this social protocol. And then number two, it says, a male did not normally speak to a female stranger in general, right? But this is just not any male. This is a Jewish rabbi and his garb would have, would have given that away. And it says, the rabbis of that day would not be alone or talk with a woman in public. Now, Guys, this is, this is something that, that personally I practice. I, I think that I've seen a lot of men and women, men specifically, that have lost 
their, their calling, their, their, the opportunity to realize their calling because of accusations that were made. And being alone with a woman can, can really be an, uh, a, a, a poor judgment um, in that regard. But the motivation of the local rabbis and the rabbis of his day was this. They feared the people. That's, that was always their motive that made them do things they shouldn't do or not do the things they should do. And Jesus was not restricted by that fear. He did not fear man, and he, he, he totally feared the Lord, meaning like he was faithful to the Father's plan. They feared what people might think, and, and Jesus' behavior amazed the disciples. And so what do, we, what do we draw from this moment? Jesus tears down broken social prejudice and paradigm. He tears that down. Why? Because he's not a people pleaser. He's a God pleaser. He's a father pleaser. He's going to do what pleases the Father, irrelevant about what people think. And, the, and, the, and the, this is the reality. It cost him his life. They hated him because he was faithful to the Father. And Jesus said, they hated you. They hated me. They'll hate you too. He said that. He said, I send you out like sheep among wolves. Because that's, that's the response that the world has to light, as the, as the first chapter tells us. Then in verse 28 and 29, it says this. So the woman left her water jar. Now, guys, all of this is, is huge, important stuff. Like the water jar is, is symbolic of the woman's life, her past. It's, let me tell you why. Look, how many jars do you have in your house? Probably five to ten. We have lots of jars, right? Things that can be used as jars. We have lots of glasses and earthenware. Those kind of things are, are readily available. And if they're not, we just go to Walmart, right? But in their day, a jar was typically fashioned and formed out of clay and it was precious and it wasn't easy to come by. And, 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 and people didn't have means like we have today. They, you know, they would have cherished. And think about it this way. We turn a tap on. A lot of the stuff we miss because of our social like, context. But we turn a tap on. We have modern plumbing. They had to go to a well and get water that would, would, would cover the, the daily needs, cooking, bathing, all of these things. And so this, this jar would be very important and a necessity to life. Does that make sense? And after her encounter with Jesus, she doesn't even think about the jar. She's gone. The jar's left behind. Now, does she just think that, you know, I think this guy's pretty trustworthy and I don't think he'll steal my jar. Is that what she thinks about Jesus? No. Is that what's going on? Well, three things have been that I've read this week have come up as, as ideas. Was she simply excited? Was she just overwhelmed by the moment and the encounter with Christ? For sure. Or is it this uh, a statement that her thirst had been satisfied and she's just walking away from the earthly uh, you know, uh, satisfaction? Or is it, or is it um, that she was planning to return? And I believe it's yes, yes, yes. I believe that she's going to grab to come back. She doesn't want to be anywhere but where he is, but I've got to go tell. It's burning in my bones. And yet she's so excited that she leaves her jar behind. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But that's, I think, an important part. I I came across this this week. I thought it was good. This is a picture of what happens when one who meets Jesus, when one meets Jesus and he reveals himself to them. 
We are excited. Our thirst is satisfied. We are healed from our social and relational brokenness. We run to our neighbors to tell them about him. And like this woman and Andrew and Philip, we come back to him and bring them with us. Amen? Amen. This is, this is what happened. Now, guys, I'm not saying we don't go back to our water jars. I'm not saying that the enemy doesn't deceive us and, and start to play, play back the past and, and try to, to bring us back to that, to that, uh, to that mindset or that, that paradigm. But here's the thing. Jesus has set us free. It's the reason he came. It's what the truth does. It liberates us. And so it, the text goes on and says, and speaking of the woman, and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now, I've already mentioned this, but like he didn't tell her all that he'd ever done. But this is, this is what she had perceived about him and about the encounter that they had. That, and listen, what is she really saying here? Come and see a man that, that though he's never met me, knows me. Knows me. Knows everything about me. And you know what was surprising to her? And he, he initiated a relationship with me. He sought me out. He, he invited me in. He offered me life. Do you think that that, was, that, that ministered to her heart? Do you think that, that it kind of que- she was in a mode of questioning what's the motivation here until he revealed who he was and then she's refreshed and now she's commissioned not because she has to. So often we look at the Great Commission and we're like, well, this is what a Christian should do. Man, it's what, it's what our hearts compel us to do now that we've been given a heart of flesh and God writes his word upon it. It's when, when God quenches our thirsty soul, now we just want to be soul thirst quenchers, if that's a thing. You know, like that's what God wants us to do and that's what the Spirit leads us to do. So come and see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, the reason, and this is unanimous amongst those that I've read and, the, and, and really what the Spirit was saying, is you know, women didn't have the authority in those days. And that's part of what Jesus is breaking down this paradigm. You know, Jesus is confronting social ills, and one of them is the way that women were treated. And, the women, and, and women were embraced in his ministry. They came alongside. Now, when 12 men were chosen, they were, there were 12 men chosen to be disciples. But women were embraced and, and welcomed. Their gifts and their, their support were, was, was priceless. And Jesus just forsake this, this, this social brokenness. And, uh, and he went and ministered specifically here to a lady. And what I'm getting at with, could this be the Christ? is that women didn't have, in this culture, they didn't have the authority to make these type of declarations. And in the context of men, that would have not been well received. She, what, what, what's being told here is that she is making a suggestion, but there, that doesn't diminish her conviction. Does that make sense? And um, so it goes on. To, uh, here's another point in that, in that regard. Let all, let's also remember that her water jar was practical and valuable, as I mentioned. And when we have an encounter with Jesus, he changes our value system and he becomes our priority. He becomes our Lord. And so we, we start leaving things behind. Does that make sense? We start forsaking things that really, because our priority system and our sense of, um, of, of what is valuable changes emphatically because he becomes the pearl of great price, things start to wane as far as their value in our life. 
and we start to see the treasure of who he is. Elizabeth Elliot, I thought this was so appropriate for Mother's Day. You know, I, I, I kind of see Elizabeth Elliot as the Mother Teresa to South America. You know, I, I have such respect for this, this, this glorious woman that continued the work of her husband, Jim, after he died with the declaration, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he gave his life for the glory of God. And his wife and children continued the ministry. And this was her statement. She says, the fact that I am a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian, but the fact that I am a Christian does make me a different kind of woman. I thought that was awesome. Amen, it's right. If I find it interesting that she is no longer in a posture of shame and isolation, see, isn't that interesting? I mean, we can't conclude anything else. She, the very thing she was avoiding, social interaction, the very people that she was trying to stay away from, she's running to. I mean, how can we not conclude or at least see that her posture of shame and isolation here after her encounter with Jesus has been overcome? has been overwhelmed, has been transformed. A couple of pieces that I came across in commentary work this week said this. Uh, when we return to the world of family and friends, now this is after our encounter with Jesus. When we return to the world of family and friends after encountering Jesus, there are two kinds of water jars we must leave behind. Number one, we must leave behind our shame about the past because Jesus knows all about us. We can, re we can repent and receive his forgiveness because it's promised. God may use the emptiness of our past life to help to us to convey to others the wonderful forgiveness that he offers, but we must not dwell on, the, on or carry guilt about the past. Amen? Number two. Number two is this. We must leave behind former friends and activities. Certain pleasures and relationships, not bad in themselves, may hinder our telling others about Christ. The water jar would have... Slow down the woman. She probably retrieved it later, but was not concerned about it in light of her discovery. Does that make sense, guys? I think that translates so well into our lives that, you know, we can't, we can't drag our death into our life. We can't drag our darkness into the light with us. Jesus is saying, no, you, you got to leave that behind. And because to follow me, it requires all of you. I mean, it really goes back to Genesis 2, 24, when we're talking in the context of marriage that, you know, that a, a man must leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Later on, this is meant to be for us an understanding and a picture of that we must leave the world and all of its trappings in order to cleave to Jesus because we only can cleave to the degree that we leave. And isn't, isn't the heart of Jesus, he says it in John 17, in his prayer, his high priestly prayer, he says that they may be one as you and I are one, right? Isn't that the heart of Jesus, that he wants this one? And there are things in our life along the way that have to go. And, and, and you know, sometimes those are painful things, um, priceless things to us, maybe like the water jar to her. And they, they might even be relationships, right? And Jesus says, if you don't love me more than these, you're not worthy to be my disciple. I mean, these are, these are the costs of discipleship. He wants us to love us the way, to love him the way that he's loved us, total and complete. So I have a question for you. Are there possessions that threaten to own us rather than the other way around? And maybe, maybe right now the Holy Spirit's just kind of 
pointing some things out. These must be uh, these we must leave for Christ's sake. Here's another commentary thought. We must lay down our useless former pursuits of pleasure and personal fulfillment, even though we know that our old ways of living never truly satisfies, the tempter deceives us into believing that there still may be an instant, easy source of satisfaction in the old, empty ways. Have you ever gone back to an old way that in some temporary way it's satisfied and now it just seems so... Paul even talks about this in one of his letters. It just seems so dark and empty and it lacks any sense of satisfaction. It's filled with conviction and godly sorrow. So the question is this. Have you turned your back on old habits, old treasures, old pleasures in order to seek what only God can give? Leave them behind. Satisfy your thirst in Christ alone. In, uh, in John, chapter 30, uh, John chapter 4, verse 30, it moves on. It says, and went, uh, they went out to the town, of the town and were coming to him. So the, the, the response of the, the witness of the Samaritan woman, right, despite her reputation, is these men have seen something significant, some major change in her, that they're running out to meet Jesus. I mean, the declaration in itself was, was, was monumental, but it, it, it obviously came through an instrument that was curious, that caused like a burning bush, curious moment, and they drew near. They obviously saw a change in her the, uh, to respond the way that they did to this woman, though they knew her. And then verse 31 and 32 go on to say, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. What is Jesus talking about here? I'm sure the, G- the disciples often ask, what is he talking about? I know that was probably a hard moment yet again for them. And, uh, and, and what Jesus is talking about here is so interesting. You know, when in the temptation uh, in the desert, Jesus says, you know, man does not live by bread alone. He gives the word of God back to the enemy, which is the sword of the spirit. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But here, this is a partner to that. Like what Jesus is saying here is to do the will of the Father actually satisfies my soul. It will satisfy your soul. It, it, it feeds us. It quenches our thirst and, and satisfies our hunger. Guys, let me ask you a question just to make this really practical. Have you ever done something that the Lord's led you to do? Give sacrificially, you know, uh, lay down your schedule in order to meet the needs of someone else that was pressing. You know, the Lord leads us into moments. Often it's times where it's not convenient, you know, like, but, but and I'm sure that many of you have an encounter that you remember in this moment where God leads you to do something and you're obedient in it. And like the boats filled with fish in Luke 5, you have a, a moment where you just feel the satisfaction and pleasure of the Lord. You had this experience? Right? Right. Exactly. I see the hand. So, you know, and and I do too. The danger is we got to be careful that we're not pursuing those things like Martha in order to gain that, 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 that experience of satisfaction. What Jesus is talking about here is when you obey the Father's will, there is a feeding that happens for our soul. When we obey God's word, there is a sense of pleasure that, that actually fills us up. And it's rich. It's absolutely rich. 
Jesus was saying that he was the spirit that he was spiritually satisfied by sharing with the Samaritan woman who he was. And in verse 33 and 34 it goes on to say, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? What's going on here? Right? They're still looking through physical eyes. You know, he says, though you have eyes, you cannot see, right? Because it requires spiritual eyes to understand spiritual things. And Jesus wasn't talking about his lunch that he had missed. He was talking about the ministry that he had fulfilled in the Father's purpose and that this had satisfied his soul. He, man, have you ever given, given up a meal to do what God's led you to do? And it, you just, it wasn't even a sacrifice. You weren't even aware anymore that you were hungry. Right, because the, the the overwhelming experience of just being faithful to the Father, verse thirty three goes uh, forty thirty four goes on to say, Jesus said to them, "My food." Now, don't miss this, guys. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me, and to accomplish His work. To do His will and to accomplish His work. That's my food. That's my nourishment. That's what satisfies me. That's what fills me up. Guys, I believe there's a lot of Christians, genuine Christians. You know, James talks about this. Genuine faith works. Genuine faith, like, manifests itself in, 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 in obedience, right? And, uh, and I believe that there's a lot of Christians that are out there that are starving to death because they're, they're hearing the word, as, uh, as James 1.26 says, or 22, excuse me. You know, do not deceive yourself. Do not merely hear the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. But I, I believe there's a lot of us that maybe know the word of God, know what it says, but we're not experiencing the, 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 the rich refreshment and satisfaction of living it out. That's how we build our house upon the rock, Jesus says in Matthew 7. That it's that, that it, and Jesus says you, you, this in John chapter 14, verse 21. It literally says that if you want to love me, obey my commandments. Just the way I obey my father's commandments and he loves me, you do the same and then I will reveal myself to you. That's what it says. And so guys, it's not, it's not just knowing the word. It's living the word. It's practicing the word. It's, it's serving the word in, in radical obedience. And this is, this is something that continues to edify the believer, strengthen the believer, feed and admonish the believer. And Jesus is, is declaring this. He's, a, he's, he's modeling this. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Not my will and not my work, but his will and his work. Jesus lived to please the Father and is so doing, in so doing, found spiritual satisfaction. Uh, look in John 17, 4. It says this, I glorified you. This is in his high priestly prayer to the Father. I glorified you on earth. How? How? This is what he goes on to say. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That's how I glorified you, Lord. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a satisfaction in that. It must be God's work, not ours. And the motivation to do it will come as we stay connected to Christ. Apart from me, Jesus says in John 15, you can do nothing. And don't miss this. We are nourished not only by what we take in, but also by what we pour out for the glory of God. Right? There, there's, there's a feeding and then there's a filling. And, uh, and we're called to ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit in order to do these things. 
And so it's a work of God that he does in and through our lives. John 4.35 goes on to say, Do you not say, and this is where he kind of unpacks this, Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. What is he talking about? He's talking about once the, the soil is tilled and the seeds are planted and everything's ready to go, like now it's all up to God and it's going to be four months before we can pick the fruit, right? That's, that, that's a mantra. That was a, that was a common uh, proverb in their day. That's what Jesus was saying. And then he says this interesting word. He says, look. What's he pointing to? The Samaritans that are now coming out into their context. Now they're coming to Jacob's well, not for physical water, but they believe uh, to some degree what the woman has said, that there might be spiritual water, the Messiah might be here. And he points to them and he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So in looking and studying through this, I'm like, oh, so when fields get ripe, whether we're talking about wheat or whatever the the harvest might be, uh, um, do they turn white? And, and, and it's funny, what I found out was, and this is interesting, is that Jesus, we know that Jesus was specifically pointing to the Samaritans because when fields ripen, whether it be wheat or whatever, they're usually gold or, they're, um, or they're, they call it rust color, or, but it's not white. And so what I later on went on to read is that Samaritans often dressed in white. And he was literally, literally pointing to the harvest of the Samaritans. And so that, that was so clarifying. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white to harvest. And now he is saying, it's your turn. Go out and harvest. And he says some interesting things as we read on, because basically he's saying, you didn't even plant this. The Old Testament prophets did. John the Baptist did. I did. You didn't do any of the hard work, but you get to jump in and you get to harvest. You get the joy uh, of harvesting. Uh, and isn't that a sweet thing that God has given us? We get, to, we get to go out and share the gospel with people. And by the grace of God, they come to know life himself. What an awesome thing. He said, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes, right? Talking about them. The time of the harvest had already arrived. Uh, the Samaritan who was coming or were coming into town were ready to be harvested. And here's the interesting thing. In physical terms, Jesus is saying it's four months, whatever crop he was talking about. He's saying in spiritual terms, I just sowed a seed and had a harvest in moments. And he's saying in, in the spiritual contest, it, context, it can happen like this, we, the timeline's up to the Lord, really up to a, a, a yielded heart. Verse 36, already the one who reaps harvests souls that are ready to receive the good news, like the Samaritan woman, is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the, the sower and the reaper may, may rejoice together. We get to join in the joy and the celebration of the heavenly realms in seeing folks come to Jesus And we get to share what God has done with us. This is the joy. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. Uh, Paul says this. He says, what then is Apollos? Because people were following him or following Paul or following Peter, or he called him Cephas, or following Jesus. Ooh, we're really, we're the the big guys. Um, He says this, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? And then he just, Paul himself describes it. It says, servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I, speaking of Paul, planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so we depend on God for the harvest. 
But we are the instruments that God uses in order to, to reach and to share and to be a witness. And what was the woman doing? Like, what was this miraculous work that she was doing? All she was doing is the very thing that God's promised his spirit to empower us to do, which is to tell your story. Tell your story of Jesus. Talk about your encounter with Christ. And you know who benefits from that too is you because it, it reinforces the wonder of God's grace and the mercy of God displayed on your life. The life we have been given is meant to sow wherever and reap whenever. As, we, uh, as was done for us, we ought to seek to do for others. In the end, the sower and the reaper will all rejoice. And so I read through the text and then I have some applications that the Lord has taught me in this and I want to share those with you. And it goes on to say, and here the saying holds true. One sows, the other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labor, talking about the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist, Jesus himself, and you have entered into their labor. In other words, gathering from their work. He goes on to say, many Samaritans from that town, or it went on to say, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And what, would, what did she say? He told me all that I ever did. Guys, do you believe that there are people in your life, in your neighborhood, where you work, family members, that if you were simply obedient to the, to the word under the power and the promise of the Holy Spirit to just tell your story of Jesus, that that, that simple gospel truth would literally draw people unto himself, unto him. That God just wants you to tell your story and he's going to put the words in your mouth is what's promised to us. This is all that this, this woman did on the other side of her encounter with Jesus. She went and shared her story. Verse 40 and 41 says, So when the Samaritan came to him, they asked him to stay with them. You know, sounds a lot like John, John and Andrew. And he stayed there two more days, which must have been the Father's will, because that's the only thing that he obeyed. And then verse 41, listen to what this says, guys. Don't miss this. And many more believed because of his word. I said earlier, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. God's word harvests souls. Like we need to, we need to hide it in our hearts. We need to meditate and memorize it. We need to know it so that the Holy Spirit can yield it through our lives. But man, the word of God, it says, and many more believed because of his word. Do, we, do you believe this morning that the word of God is powerful and effective? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's word can literally bring the death, bring the dead to life? I believe that. I believe that God's word, and if it's preached with conviction and faith, like if, man, God's word can change a heart, take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. God can, can literally harvest a soul if we're just willing. And what prevents us? It's not mass persecution. It's not even a death sentence. It's sometimes that they might not like me or I might not do a good job. And look, God promises to be with you to the very end of the age in this mission. And he just wants you to, be, to trust him and to run with enthusiasm and excitement based on what God has done for you in Christ. And the final verse says this. They said to the woman, I love this. This is because of the word of God. And, and please, please understand this, that um, simple illustration. You know, I think we do a terrible job as a culture of weaning children, a terrible job. 
the rite of passage in most cultures, whether it be the Indian culture or the Jewish culture, bar mitzvah, you know, 13 years old, a, a dad was coming to a son and saying, you're a man now. It's time to assume responsibilities. It's time to, to take some of the load. It's, I am calling the man out of you. And then comes alongside and helps that, that, that process come to fruition. But, but man, you know, as disciples, and that's what we're called to be. We're called to, we, we, we're discipled into Christ, and then we're called to disciple others. But, but John the Baptist did an awesome job. He, 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 they, they told him, hey, look, your ministry is being impacted by this guy. And John said, that's the way it's supposed to go down. This is good. Uh, it's my joy, he says, because this is how, this, I, I must decrease that he might increase. We've got to constantly be pointing to Jesus so that they don't depend on us. We like when people depend on us, but that's not even Jesus modeled for us. He didn't even do that. He goes, okay, guys, go get them right? Like, and, and we, we, we're waiting for everybody to be fully equipped, right? But God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called, right? So like, this is, and, and for parents and, and Mother's Day and all, you know, like, you know, let me give you a gross illustration, okay? I, I believe that, that we're, we're called to wean, just, we see it in nature, right? The eaglet gets forced out of the nest before it's flown once, right? I mean, that seems like, what? You know, like, but in our culture, men are, are playing video games in their, mother, their parents' house at 35 years old. I mean, what's going on? And our culture is suffering for all of this, right? Because we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not empowering, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not weaning. And then and the gross illustration, it's, it's, like, it's like a mom carrying a baby, you know, into first and second year of, their, of its life with the umbilical cord still attached. It's gross. It's a gross picture, isn't it? Right? That's the first step of weaning that child. Right? And then it's a slow process. And what I'm saying in the Christian life, what we're called to do is point people to Jesus. Yeah, in, initially, they can't feed themselves. We've got to help them. But what's the goal? That eventually they believe God's word for themselves. That they, they might trust in our witness. But like it says in verse 42, listen to what it says. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. These are, this is days later. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed, listen to what they declare here. This is indeed the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. So um, here's, here's my passionate conviction. If we walk away from God's word and we don't make application to it, we're, we're worse off than when we started because now we know something we're not doing that makes us hypocrites. Right, so, so it's about practicing God's word. It's about doing it. So I'm going to give you some practical applications. But this might not be specific to you because these is, this is the applications that spoke to me. Let the Holy Spirit instruct your heart on how you might be a witness, how you might run to tell the story of Christ to those that are in your life. But these are the applications that God gave me, and I'll share them with you in close. Jesus walked into her isolation and darkness, revealed himself by declaring that he knew her and came to find her, loved her, and ultimately set her free. Isn't that, Jesus says that you will now do greater things than me. Like, you'll finish what I started. Isn't that an example to us? That we gotta, we gotta get out of our comfort zone and walk into people's lives that maybe are different from us or that culture says you have nothing to do with or because of their past you know, they've been written off by their family. 
And we're called to walk in, in love, demonstrating Christ and then sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Second piece, Jesus feasted on the harvest. Isn't that interesting? Jesus feasted on the harvest. That's what he was saying. Do do you really want to thrive as a believer? Then get busy in the gospel message. Be a witness. Jesus says, look, this is what I'm leaving the Holy Spirit to do. You will be clothed with power from on high and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, right? So like this is the mission of God. This is why the Spirit's been given to you. It's not for selfish pleasure. It's so that you can join in the mission of God and that's the most satisfying thing that you can do with your life. And that's where we find rich, deep, intimate. Jesus was fed, was satisfied. Jesus feasted on the harvest and he calls us to do the same. Her thirst was quenched and she went out to pour into others. It's our obvious response. And she left her jar behind she left it behind. You know, one other thing that, and I'll share this because it goes along with that. He alone quenches our thirst and makes us his spring of eternal life. But, here's the big but, but we must remember he is the source. I think it's interesting. He came back to the well, right? I mean, excuse me, she came back to the well where her jar was. And I think for me, one of the things the Lord showed me this week is I can't, I can't go to anyone else. Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. Like he is, he is the source. We are a spring, but he is the source. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we got to sit at his feet. We got to abide in him. We got, we got, to, we got to stay at home. He keeps him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on him. Like we've got, we've got to spend time with Jesus. We got to, one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the better part. We got to sit at his feet and allow him to fill our cups. Because here's the thing that I've experienced this week. Your cup's going to get knocked over. You're going to get poured out. You're going to bump into Christian and non-Christian alike, and it's going to be a draining experience. In some cases, extremely painful. And, and here's, here's what we're not to do. We're not to go, go off looking for someone to share that pain with and just continue the chain of pain. We're, we need to run like Jesus modeled for us. We need to climb a mountain and sit at his feet. We need to go to the one that knows our hearts, knows our pain, knows our paradigm. And he's able to relate to us. He's our high priest. He's our mediator. He's our advocate before the throne of grace, right? And he's the one that understands our pain. He's the one that's, that's walked it through with us, right? And, and, and rather than sharing our pain with others in, 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 in like wanting the sympathy and wanting the understanding and wanting the, look, I understand that we should, we should bear each other's his burdens. yes. But let's not, let's, not, let's not just share our pain when Jesus is ready and willing, like the throne room is open to us because of the righteousness of Christ. And he's the only source that can continue to help us to well up to eternal life and be this overflowing expression to others. Does that make sense, guys? Because that is ministered to my heart this week so much. Like I got healed this week when I went through some painful moments and I started going around to people that are, and, and this is what we do. Please don't miss this. You ever wondered why, why are we so hard on the people that are, that are most closest and, and, and intimate to us? Why do often we give them the, the worst moments of our life? 
And, and for me, you know, I, I found myself running to people that I love and cherish, my wife and others that, that you know, they'll understand and they'll, 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 they'll relate to me and they'll share my pain, you know, and, and they'll pray with me and pray for me. And man, all I did was share pain with them. They were burdened by my burden. They were. They were burdened by my burden. And it, and it didn't help. It, it seemed to make it more difficult in, even in that relationship. But you know what? The, the, the first encounter that tipped my jar over this week, the first encounter, we, we sought the Lord together in prayer. I sought the Lord for, for them afterwards in prayer. They sought the Lord in prayer. And there was healing that got done in that moment, in that life. And, and it was such a stark reminder to me this week. Man, he, there, there's, it says, it says, um, uh, the, the, you know, oh, his throne of grace is always available to us in our time of need, right? Right, always available to us in our time of need. And he is the one that's going to enrich and satisfy and ignite and, and, and resume the joy. I'm like, let me just say this, on the other side of time in his word and time in prayer, I, I was no longer hurt. I'm just, I'm just telling you the truth. I was no longer angry. I was no longer in pain. And guys, we get like out of the mouth, the heart speaks. We've got to be careful about that. Remember Job's wife? She became the mouthpiece of the enemy. She said the very thing the enemy was trying to get Job to, to, to do one chapter later. And why? Because she was in pain too. She was a mom. She lost all her kids. And sometime in our pain, sometimes in our painful moments, we speak out of that pain. We speak out of that. And, 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 and all along, Jesus is saying, come to me, right? Streams of living water. I will quench your thirst. I will satisfy your hunger. And then the last two things I share is this. Uh, let, let's also, I used to say this to students all the time. Let's also remember, seven days without the word makes one week. Don't forget that. You can't come to Sunday morning every week and expect to thrive as a believer. I mean, God's word is something that, that we need daily bread, right? And then she left the jar because she became the jar, not for herself, but for others. Isn't that good? Guys, become the jar. Like, this just makes me cry. Like, you know, and you know what God wants to fill us with? Himself. So he might overflow out of your life. And then the motivation to love people is natural. Believe it or not, it's just what you want to do. You want, it's the obvious response she ran off to her, neighbor, to her neighbors or friends. Why? Because nothing else made sense. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Thank you, Jesus, that you've shown and modeled and taught us that you have, that we, you have food that we know nothing about to do the will of, of the Heavenly Father. Help us to join you and finish what you started as you've planted yourself in us by your spirit in order to be witnesses. Help us to trust you for this mission and to be faithful to the call. Fill our hearts. I pray that you would fill every heart in this place, that you would consume them with your love, consume them with your presence and your your desires. Holy Spirit, that you would move us to a radical posture of just declaring your, your, your goodness, your power, your presence to those around us. We love you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.